judge a person and it turns out you didn't have the whole story? Ever learn there was a lot more to that story than you first realized? I'm Kimberly. And I'm Rebecca. Join us as we separate the little lies from the big reputations. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Welcome back. Happy Black History Month. Yes. Happy Black History Month. Yes. How are you celebrating Black History Month? That feels weird to ask, but I want to like ask people. I have a lot of white friends and I want to be like, not hold you accountable, but just like, how are you expanding your knowledge of Black History yeah. this month? I mean, I've been doing some stuff at school in particular. Mm-hmm. Um, our our school just hosted a like a financial wellness for students of color. Mm-hmm workshop it wasn't a workshop it was like a talk okay. that they did and um so i went there to learn more about you know some of the the issues that people of color might face when learning about money that white people don't experience the same way mm-hmm. and and sort of taking that knowledge and and how i apply it to like the lessons that i do in my classroom so i think that oh. that's what i've done so far you know we are recording this episode is for the end of February. Yes. But hopefully I'll have more to report back to you in March about things I've done. I also wanted to help you celebrate Ooh. Black History Month. I have a little present for you. It's just very little. <gasps> is it reparations? <laughs> it's definitely not reparations. <laughs> if I could, I would. Oh, um, it's but okay. I do feel like this is something I think we talked about uh, at one so. point. Okay. Um, I'm nervous. And and we I think it was in the context of being kids and um well let me just give it to you and then then you can we'll talk about Is it. Is it a skip it? Oh my god. <laughs> it's a box of crayons Aww. that says colors of the world and it's all the different skin colors that you could have instead of just having like nude or whatever it was i hate nude it's not a real color for everyone this is a mate i have to take a picture i'm like i like my cry fuck you i like my cry oh my god this is so cool isn't it though i'm very excited and and they on both sides they name the different colors the other side there's my color on oh my god shut up (laughs) i'm so glad i waited till the podcast to give that to you wait what color am i I don't know. Well, I'm medium golden. I'm medium deep golden. This is awesome. Isn't it so cool? Like, I'm going to start coloring again. <laughs> I'm very excited about this. Aww. So I saw that and I just thought of you and I was this like, This is I have really to get cool. It. Thank you so much. You did not need to do this. I did not make her do this. No, no. She would never. She would never. This but. is so awesome. Yeah. So happy it's, Black History Month for you. Thank you. Instead of wearing down that one brown crown for like every person, mm-hmm. that's. I'm so excited. <laughs> I'm no shit. I'm gonna start coloring again. You can go I visit so um, Sam and her daughter, and you guys can <gasps> color together. Oh my god! I need to get these for her too. Oh my yeah. goodness! They're I'm so sure cool. Sam already has them. She's good with stuff like that. I feel like she might. But yeah. I'm so excited. But um, this is awesome. But I know I was telling you earlier that I feel like a bad black because we are not covering any black people for Black History Month. And that definitely has more to do with like us and our schedule and being like absent-minded than the awesomeness of black people. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think we we planned out a whole bunch of episodes in advance before we thought about when they were going to be mm-hmm. recorded. Yeah, we like did a list and then we were like, okay, we have to work around this schedule and that schedule. Like my honeymoon is coming up, you have traveling and school was starting and we had like a whole list. And I, it didn't dawn on me until like maybe last week. I was like, huh, oh my God, we don't have anyone. Yeah, We're not covering any black people in February. And then I was just like, the ancestors are going to be so mad. Like how dare I? But like next year... Next year we got We're going to go hard. And I feel really bad that we're not covering anybody this year. But next year. Yeah. And I mean, honestly, Black History Month should be every month. So we will cover Facts. black people throughout the year. We black women. Um, we've covered Whitney so far this mm-hmm. year. And um, I know we've got Anita Hill on our list. Yes. So 
I mean, those are just two names that I can think of off the top of my head because I have not memorized our whole schedule. But we are trying to be very proactive about yeah. diversifying the names. So, yes, we will celebrate Black History Month all year long. Woohoo! <laughs> what are you doing to celebrate Black History Month? I'm black. Okay. No, um, no, but I'm trying to read more black authors um, that don't focus on black pain. Mm. That's pretty hard. There's a book that I started reading that was supposed to be like a psychological drama and, or psychological thriller. And I got 80% done with this book. And then there was like all this like sexual assault. And I was like, oh, no, that's not what I wanted. And Yikes. this feels like a bait and switch. But there was a very good movie that I, a good movie, a good book that I read that is now a movie on HBO Max. It's called The Girl Before. Okay. So it's got a black cast, but the book is not by a black writer or anything. So like, I don't know about you, but like when I read books, I think that like the default is just white. Really? Usually. You do that too? I mean, yeah. I, I would think it would make sense for me because I am white, but I... I I always wondered about that. It's just like the medium that you like see things in, right? So like the default is white. It's unless otherwise told, mm. the default is white. So when I saw that there was a whole black cast for this uh, this movie, I was just like, holy crap! And they're like British black, so they got the cool accents. But I'm very. <laughs> I was excited like, what does that it. even mean? But okay, that means just as cool as regular black people, but with accents. Got it. You know how much I love a British accent, and I'm not allowed to do it on this podcast anymore, so... I didn't ban you. I just... <laughs> the listeners banned me. I get it. It's fine. <sighs> it's just my personal sadness. But it's called The Girl Before. It's on HBO Max. Mm -hmm. I'm going to watch it at some point next week, but I really liked the book. And like, I'll, I'll put a picture of the book in the Instagram, because I cannot remember the author right now. It's very good. It okay. was a very good thriller. Like, I'm looking for... If you know any thrillers written by black authors, let me know. Especially if they don't deal with trauma. Yeah, I don't... Like, like always a thriller have doesn't have to be traumatic. No. Ugh. Anyway. Yeah. I think, you know, I've been reading a lot of YA books and stuff mm. for my research and comics and stuff. So, like, I, I picked up a Miles Morales comic mm. collection this month. So, there's not really the, the trauma in that because it's a superhero story. I mean, they yeah. all have some sort of angsty whatever, but it's yeah. not necessarily that that stereotypical trauma that's just like thrown into every story for mm -hmm. for black people and people of color. <laughs> yeah, I don't I mean, I think people are starting to get away from it, but I also do books with like the library, so like there's a really long wait for like some books that I know don't have black trauma but it's like 17 weeks. So like, I'll get yeah. there. I'll yeah, get yeah, yeah, there. for sure. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, that happens with a lot of like the Latino stories that I read. It's mm. like, not everything has to be about the immigrant experience. Yeah. And, and I'm starting to find more and more books that do tell other stories. Mm -hmm. You know, those stories are important. Yeah. And I'm glad we have them, but tell other stories too. Yeah, they shouldn't be everything. And I think that publishers are starting to get more open to the fact that like, oh, people just want like romance novels, but with people that they can image, they can like imagine as them. Mm -hmm. That's cool. Like I read one a lot like Adios. Adios. Okay. That's like a three part, like there's, it's a trilogy. And I read the second book because I didn't know that there was a trilogy, but it like is about these cousins and their Latinx and it's very, very good. And it's just like a kind of a romantic comedy. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. Besides the title, there was no like, I don't know, there wasn't like overtly Spanish, which would have been fine if it was. But like, it was just like, hey, this is a thing that happens in our community, too. And we'd like to discuss it. And it's just a romantic. Like, I just loved it. I thought it was so good. Yeah, I read one called like the Cuban Girl's Guide to Tea and Sympathy. And mm. while there was some traumatic event at the beginning, it wasn't that sort of like generational trauma. Yeah. And she went on a trip to like stay with family in England and so it she was like from Miami and was a baker from a family of bakers and she was like oh, okay. using that to cope and then she went to England and stayed with family and met new friends there and mm. it was it was kind of about her recovery from a traumatic event but it wasn't cultural or ethnic trauma yeah that has been recommended to me I think that's on a list somewhere that's okay. really familiar yeah I I love the, when we talk about books because, you know, I love 
our fictional character episodes. Mm-hmm. I'm like a sucker for them. <laughs> and so we are doing a fictional character again today. And we're actually going to discuss our very first Disney villain. Ooh. Yes. We are looking at Ursula the Sea Witch from The Little Mermaid. So today we're going to summarize the film for anyone who's not familiar. But like, who's not familiar? Like, I mean, I don't know. Huh, stop this. Pause it. We'll wait. It's on Disney+. Plus. It's like 90 minutes. We'll wait for you. <laughs> okay, cool. How was it? It was awesome, right? It was. Yeah. We're going to discuss her background and how she came to be ostracized by the rest of the sea creatures and merfolk. Yeah, we'll discuss Ursula's design, the coloring, the size, the the tentacles versus uh, fin kind of thing, right? She doesn't have a fin like the other merfolk. She's got tentacles. Yeah, she's an octopus. With only six tentacles. Spoiler alert. No, you just watched it. You saw them. You were questioning that. You're like, what's with her legs? We're also going to talk about audiences' perceptions of her, especially at the time the film came out. And finally, we're going to dive a little bit below the surface and discuss why there's more to Ursula than we maybe thought. Before we get into talking about Ursula in the film, I think we should talk a little bit about the fairy tale that sort of inspired this Disney adaptation. Right, The Little Mermaid was a fairy tale written by the Danish author Hans Christian Andersen and was first published in 1837 as part of a fairy tale collection for children. So it tells the story of a young mermaid who is willing to give up her life under the sea as a mermaid in order to gain a human soul. It does have many similarities to the Disney version that many of us are familiar with, but with a few twists. It has in common that the little mermaid has a bunch of older sisters. She rises up to the surface and sees a prince celebrating on a boat. She falls in love. A storm hits. She saves his life, but must disappear before he realizes it was her who saved him. So this is when the sea witch comes in. In this version, she doesn't have a name, but she does sell the Little Mermaid a potion that would give her legs in exchange for her voice. This is where it gets a little bit darker than your normal Disney tale. The potion supposedly makes her feel as though swords are being passed through her body. Lovely. Right? Like, that sounds pleasant. Honestly, some days I kind of wish they would. Maybe it would take away my back pain. Like, acupuncture. But, like, it's a sword. (laughs) But like acupuncture. (laughs) All right. I don't think you're doing acupuncture right. (laughs) So while she'll get human legs and be able to dance, you know, like we all want to do, she's always going to feel like she's walking on knives. Like, I don't get how this fairy tale was for children. I don't know if like Danish toddlers are just built different, but there's a little bit of trauma there that I'm not interested in. It's dark. It's definitely dark. And of course, the mermaid will only obtain a human soul if the prince falls in love and marries her. If he marries someone else, she'll die of a broken heart and dissolve into sea foam, which, you know, as we talked about, it's a fandom thing is tasty. (laughs) (laughs) Eating foam is tasty. But sometimes. But in this fairy tale, it's, you know, it's what happens to mermaids when they die. They turn into sea foam. It sounds like a really terrible idea for this, like, very lofty task that she has to do. I think she gets like... Three days. I don't know if she gets three days in the original at all. Does she? Or we're going to get to that. I don't know. If, there's definitely a time limit. Yeah. In the original tale, she goes to the surface. She becomes besties with the prince. But she never falls in love with him. He then marries another woman and it breaks her heart. But the sisters have a plan, as sisters normally do. They get a dagger from the sea witch and they tell her that if she kills the prince, she can come back to live in the ocean, live her regular life, be bopping around the ocean. But of course she can't do that. And she dies. Ugh. Yeah. <laughs> she dies. But somehow, instead of ceasing to exist and becoming foam, she rises into the air and becomes a spirit. And it's, she is told that because of her selflessness, she can earn her own soul by doing 300 years of good deeds. After that, she can get into heaven. Okie dokie. Yeah. <laughs> it kind of sounds like the Little Mermaid is like the queen of terrible contracts. Like 300 years of good deeds. Like, I don't know how that's a reward for being selfless. You were so selfless. Be more selfless for 300 years. Like, that makes zero sense. I'd rather be seafoam than like work for 300 <laughs> years to then be dead still. Like, she doesn't get like a life. Yeah. She's still dead. Just be foam and relax. <laughs> Just be foam and relax. <laughs> there you go. Well, we move on to the movie. You know, Disney's 
film adaptation. That one came out in 1989. And it's very loosely based on this fairy tale, right? The one that we just described. In the Disney version, the characters, well, they have names for one. Mm -hmm. The Little Mermaid is Ariel, the prince is Eric, and the sea witch is, of course, Ursula. So apparently, Jeffrey Katzenberg, the then chairman at Disney Studio, wasn't fully on board with this. He initially declined the proposal to adapt the fairy tale and even warned that the film wouldn't be as successful as the others because it appealed to girls more than boys. Because, you know, the patriarchy and the fact that women certainly don't make up half of the buying power in this country, but, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. Well, he was eventually convinced, like, thank goodness. But I'd be willing to bet now that most the Disney makes most of its money from the ladies. Like, I'll find the stats later, but that statement feels strong and correct. Yeah, I mean, their their most successful line of animated films are definitely those that revolve around the princess. Oh, absolutely. So the film received critical acclaim. It was a commercial success, making $84 million at the domestic box office on its initial release, which may not seem like a lot today, but it was definitely substantial for an animated film of its time. Now, Disney animation was actually struggling in the late 80s, and The Little Mermaid is one of the films that is given credit for reviving the animated feature films. It marked the start of the Disney Renaissance era, which is 1989 to 1999, which included the following films. Actually, how many of them can you guess? There's 10 of them. Let's say I'm not a big Disney person, but um, I'm going to say Beauty and the Beast, because that was my favorite. Um, Cinderella? Definitely not. Damn. Lion King? Yep. Um, now everything I'm thinking of is too old. Like I was gonna say Pinocchio. Um, 101 Dalmatians? Nope. Uh, you're definitely picking the old ones. I, that's, I'm an old person. I don't know. You're not that old. These are all the movies that came out during your childhood. I was busy I don't remember all of goosebumps. them off the top of my head, but we've got, besides The Little Mermaid, uh-huh. we have The Rescuers Down Under, oh, which is that. probably the least known Is that the on one this. with the mice? Yeah. Ugh. But the one where they go to Australia. Oh, uh, I'm sorry. It's I'm sequel. thinking of the mice that come to America on the boat, the no, Italian that's mice. Bible, and they're Russian Jews. I thought they were Italian. Mouskowitz? <laughs> <laughs> It's not even a Disney movie. You hurt my soul. It's but not. It's right. No, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> Minds are being blown all over the place. Today. I thought that was a Disney movie. Nope. They've got a thing with mice. I don't know. Yeah. Well, I yeah. apologize for nothing. <laughs> also, Beauty and the Beast, which you mentioned. Yeah. Aladdin, which was one I of my love. Al- I just got so loud. I apologize. <laughs> Aladdin is like one of my favorites. I can't believe I forgot about it. I used to rewatch the Prince Ali song over and over again till I could sing the entire thing. I could, because this was in the days before you could Google the lyrics. Folks. Yeah, you just had to like hope you had it right. Mm-hmm. Like I didn't know like red letter. I was like, what does that mean? But it meant like a big deal. Yeah. You said Lion King. Hmm. Uh, Pocahontas. I didn't watch that one. The Hunchback of Notre Dame. That one's creepy. Okay. Right. Yeah. Now I'm just critiquing. Go ahead. Hercules. <gasps> that one's good. Little well, baby Hercules with his little chin. That's <laughs> cute. Okay. I forgot about uh, that. Mulan. Oh, yeah. And Tarzan. I never saw Tarzan. No. That's the one with no. Bill Collins music. I, I never saw that one. I know the song, though. You'll be in my heart. Yes. Yes. But I don't know. Yeah. I've never seen the movie. I feel bad that I got so many wrong. (laughs) Or you just had like no guesses. You were like, I don't know. I'm going to say Pinocchio, which was like from the 1940s. Literally, when I tell you, I was just like Snow White, Cinderella. Cinderella. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Cinderella. 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 I couldn't think of anything. Snow White was actually the first Disney princess. That's a super old one. Yeah. Yeah, I was old. playing the long game. <laughs> anyway, The Little Mermaid actually won two Oscars. One for Best Original Score and the other for Best Original Song. Can you guess which song? The one where she talks about being up there where the people are. Nope. It wasn't actually her song. It was Sebastian's song. Oh, Under the Sea? Mm-hmm. Really? Yep. That's a good song. Yeah. My brother uh, actually played... Sebastian in his middle school play. Of Do you Little have Mermaid? pictures? 
probably. I need to see it. <laughs> I'm just picturing like two big puffy crab arms. Yep. That sounds about right. And oh, then I he put on it. an accent, which was a little wrong, but like he was just trying to be like Sebastian from the movie. I don't think he thought of it as appropriation. Is the actor who Black. plays is? Yes. Okay, good. I was just like, hmm, Disney questions. Yes. He was. I okay. actually looked it up. Okay, good. <laughs> Little Mermaid was released to home video in 1990, which was only six months after its initial release, which honestly back then was really quick. Like Mm -hmm. they didn't release things like sometimes it was a year or two years or something before things came to video. I wonder why. I don't I don't know. I mean, I don't know if they didn't think the sales would be that high back then or what. Maybe it was just really expensive to convert it to the tape. Maybe. Because it wasn't all digital then. Mm -hmm. It was actually on film. It quickly became the top-selling home video of that year. I have one. I have two, probably, because I wore Was it, it in down. The puffy case? It is in the puffy case. Of course. Yes. <laughs> Do you remember the scandal behind the cover art? There were dicks on the cover. <laughs> or that was like the the allegedly someone, uh, a disgruntled employer employee had like drawn dicks in. I don't, I have to check mine for dicks. I don't know if they're... Yeah, the picture you sent me, it didn't look like it. It looked like it might have been post the removal of them because they pretty quickly. I wonder if like the ones with the penises on them like go for a lot of money now, like on eBay. Well, I I wouldn't be surprised, but apparently it was not intentional or malicious. It was, but it was definitely removed from future cover art (laughs) because it definitely, it it had a look. (laughs) (laughs) So they also did a play slash musical about this. Yeah. Um, So just a couple of notes about the stage version of the story. It's still Disney. It's just after the film release. Ursula and Triton are siblings. She's the older sister. She originally ruled the seas, but when her little brother Triton came of age, that good old patriarchal practice of crowning the male heir forced her out. He became king and banished her. So she started her business of helping these quote unquote poor unfortunate souls. So they almost told us this in the film version. Uh, There was a song in the beginning of the film, which they had the sailors sing telling Prince Eric about the world below. But it was cut for time, which I think was like a big mistake. Huge. Like just a huge mistake. Because like why cut this like crucial family link? Yeah, it really does add something to the story. Even as a kid, I was just like, why... Why are they so mad at her? Or like, what's her motive? Like, why does she hate this family so much? And if Mm -hmm. I would have known that they were actually family, that would have made a lot more sense. Yeah, honestly. Let's talk a little bit about Ursula herself. Ursula was voiced by the actress Pat Carroll and had a more prominent role in the film than she did in the original fairy tale. So her original design was inspired by various sea creatures, including a manta ray and a scorpion fish. But it was eventually decided that she would be based on an octopus. Yeah. But fun fact, as I spoiled earlier, Mm -hmm. she only had six tentacles and not eight. And rumor has it this was done for financial reasons. So, yeah, capitalism. But like how much does it cost to draw just two more? Or even deliver like a throwaway line like she did so much magic that she lost her tentacles in a horrible accident. Like, I'm not going to lie. I did not know like I didn't ever pay attention to how many tentacles she had. And if I had, I probably would have assumed that her arms were seven and eight, but I don't know. We're just blowing minds all over the place. They didn't look like tentacles. They look like arms, but like in my mind, that would have been seven and eight. I I mean, I, I, again, it's for kids. So I'm like, who cares? But you know that there was someone's dad that was like, actually, she's not an octopus because she doesn't have (laughs) to (laughs) push. And now we can watch The Little Mermaid, Gary. You've ruined it. Fucking Gary. (laughs) So Ursula's appearance was largely inspired by an American actor and drag queen, Divine. He was best known for his frequent appearances in several films directed by filmmaker John Waters, who I love. Okay. I met him one day at Barnes & Noble. He was very, very kind. His mustache was perfect. (laughs) He's awesome. Ursula was also accompanied by two eels, Flotsam and Jetsam. And when I was looking up the spelling for their names, I came up with what the words actually mean. Because I was just like, what, what is that? Flotsam and jetsam. Apparently, in general, it's a term for odds and ends. But there are more specific definitions according to maritime law. And since this movie is about the sea, yeah. I figured it was useful. 
I don't know. Maybe it's not, but it's a fun fact. It's absolutely useful. I love this fact. Do Thank it. you. <laughs> Flotsam means debris in the water that was not deliberately thrown overboard, often as the result from a shipwreck or accident. So jetsam is debris that was deliberately thrown overboard by a crew of a ship in distress, most likely to lighten the ship's load. So litter. <laughs> <laughs> Pollution. <laughs> You know, pollution in the name of safety sometimes. I maybe. suppose. I suppose. I and like I said, I think it's it's a little bit random, but I just thought it would be a fun thing to share. So Ursula's character was critically acclaimed for being both humorous and frightening, and multiple cr- film critics considered her one of Disney's most strongest villains up until that point. So let's talk about why that might be. In this section, we're going to talk a little bit about how the other characters saw Ursula and maybe why she got a big reputation from them. So let's talk first about her motivation and agenda. I mean, even if we're just looking at Ursula on the surface, she's a businesswoman. She's got something to sell. She offers Ariel the option to become a human. She explains what the price is. She lays out the terms. Ariel doesn't have to say yes. But she does. She does. And she's a bad consumer. So it's clear throughout the film that Ursula is determined to sabotage Ariel's chances with Prince Eric. She doesn't care about Ariel one way or the other. She's just doing this to dethrone King Triton, Ariel's father, and take over as ruler of the oceans. In the original fairy tale, the sea witch's purpose was a sort of business broker. She made deals. That was her thing. But in The Little Mermaid, Ursula is out for vengeance. But Why? Well, although we don't get the reasons for it in the first film, Triton apparently banishes her and sends her into exile to the darkest parts of the sea. Yeah, and I mean, that play storyline would have helped us here, but Uh, we're going to pretend we don't have that. We're going to, well, yeah. We don't have it. We don't, yeah. So Ariel just becomes a simple tool for her to get back at him for this banishment. Making his daughter suffer would cause Triton to suffer even more. And Ursula's here for it. She tells Floxum and Jetsum that Ariel may be the key to Triton's undoing. I love that line. I don't know. It's just the way she delivers it. Mm -hmm. It's just, ooh, it's like so creepy. But while it's not mentioned exactly why she's banished, and I think it would have been cool if they had dug into that a bit more in the movie, it's probably safe to assume that it had to do with black magic and the deals that she was making with the other merfolk. Yeah, like, I want to know, too, like, who taught her her magic? Like, did she start out doing good magic? I need answers. I know Dizzy's doing a live-action Little Mermaid, and I'm really hoping they touch on this. Like, I would double-double love a standalone film. They have done Cruella and Maleficent in the past, so I'm hoping that one is coming up for Ursula. I mean, they could even maybe discuss why she only has six tentacles. Yeah, I mean, they should. So, patriarchy. Triton is definitely the epitome of the patriarchy. His power lies in his manness. I mean, I know he's a merman, but he's still a man, right? This is what gives him power over his subjects, including his daughters. I mean, think of the line where he says, as long as you live under my ocean, you'll obey my rules. All right, spoiler alert, like the tough dad route didn't work. Not here. Backfired pretty hard. Maybe, maybe that's why it was like my favorite. Anyway, we'll get into that. <laughs> Triton had the power to banish Ursula, but it makes you wonder, what was her role before she was banished? She talks about her own time in the palace, saying, we had fantastical feasts when I lived in the palace. Clearly, there's something more there. Was it that Triton overthrew her or that they were related? Now, the musical tells us they are, but the film doesn't let us know that. So we talk about how in the musical, Ursula is Ariel's aunt. It gives me Scar vibes from The Lion King. Like, I totally understand this family take because it gives me a reason why Ariel might have trusted Ursula in the first place. She's family, and family should have your best interests at heart. Yeah, I mean, Ariel definitely knows she was banished, but she might not know why. Yeah. Apparently, in the musical version, Ursula and Triton were meant to rule the ocean together. But, you know, he was a man, so he took the power. And Ursula clearly had some control at some point in the past, but far enough back that Ariel wasn't aware of it. So Triton didn't trust Ursula's magic, you know, woman's magic. Oh, the kind that's passed down from mother to daughter. So he labeled her a witch and then campaigned against her rule. He eventually outlawed magic among women and maintained only the kind of magic that could be wielded by spears, you know, men's magic, spears. Mm -hmm. Mm, Just spears. Innuendo? I think so. 
Okay, it's Disney, but I'm still going to go with it. So now I'm going to relive this. It makes sense now that his like phallic, his, his magical item is the trident, which is very phallic. Yes. And Ursula's magic item is the conch that she wears around her neck. Oh, right. Yes. Which is very like vagina like. I feel like Disney's trying to tell us something there. Ursula's goal is to overthrow the patriarchy. She's trying to stage a coup. And again, Ariel is just her best weapon in this case. Yeah. So some of the other characters that come up are Sebastian, who is the little crab. He's in alliance with Triton. And he's the one who's like issued with taking care of Ariel or watching out for her, which seems like a lot. He's the the conductor. He just (laughs) wants to play music. And now he has to like babysit this like really bratty teenage girl. Like, I don't know. It doesn't really make a lot of sense. But he refers to Ursula as a demon when Ariel's like, I'm going to go see the sea witch. And he's like, no, she's a demon. You can't go. I just want to compose my music. Why am I here? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And then there's Flounder. He's the other one with them the day that Ariel decides to go see Ursula. And he physically shakes when he's near her. I mean, his character is meant to be a bit of a chicken, mm-hmm. but um, but the physical manifestation of fear makes it clear how he's been taught to perceive her. Like, he's never encountered her before, Mm-mm. but he knows he's supposed to be afraid of her. He flounders in his strength. <laughs> So that's how the characters saw Ursula. But let's talk a little bit about how the audience viewed Ursula. I mean, especially when we're kids and we're watching the movie, it's just like, oh, bad guy, Ursula. Good guy, Ariel. Mm -hmm. Right? But Ursula in the movie is represented as the other to Triton. While he's accepted and praised as the king, she's exiled and seen as contemptible. She's also very much represented as Ariel's complete opposite. Ursula is dramatic and theatrical. She has this cackling laugh that marks her to us as a villain. And of course, there's a whole thing about body size. Body positivity or even body neutrality were not really a thing at that time. Ariel is a slim, innocent, and naive person. While Ursula is fat, greedy for food, and power. (sighs) It's exhausting. Yeah. I mean, Ursula's portrayal is in line with the other portrayals of wicked witches in fairy tales and fiction, so it's easy for audiences to make that association with her immediately. I mean, she's cunning, she's heartless, and she's petty, right? I mean, she's just doing all of this to get back at the king. Honestly, truly the worst thing she does, and what sort of seals her fate as a villain in the eyes of the audience, is when she transforms herself into Vanessa and hypnotizes Eric into thinking that she's the one who saved him by using Ariel's voice. I mean, that's pretty bad. And just like many of the women that we cover, we recognize the imperfections. Like, we're not holding any of these women up on pedestals. We're just trying to dig through their big reputations. But this action that she goes through with, like, going this far to deceive Mm -hmm. Eric and Ariel and so on, it just goes to show how far people end up going when they hold grudges. Yeah. Beyond, like, the whole revenge plot, we don't get to see much in terms of what Ursula likes to do. Like, what are her hobbies? What is she up to besides plotting revenge? (laughs) She does care about her physical appearance, and she takes pride in the way that she looks. Or at least you get that impression that she doesn't give a fuck what other people think that she looks like. She does her makeup. She comments on the fact that she's wasting away. But even with all her magic, she doesn't change her own appearance until she uses it as a weapon against Ariel and, by proxy, Triton. Yeah, I mean, she doesn't fit the norms of the society. She eats live seafood, and, and I don't recall seeing any other merfolk doing this. I mean, I'm sure they eat seafood, but she's eating it while it's alive. So, like, I, that was a question that I had. What do they eat? Because they don't eat seaweed? Kelp? They're, like, eating I don't each know. other. I'm so sure. Well, I'm sure they eat other seafood, but she's eating it literally while it's still alive. Like, yeah, but like if everybody, if you go through like the Sebastian song that everybody's so happy to be there because under the sea, life is great, but like they're eating their neighbors. (laughs) Like if the, if the fish is like, I mean, it's possible, but we don't ever see any of that. And the only other character that we see sort of attempting to eat, other sea creatures alive the shark is the shark yeah yeah maybe they don't eat no they used to have feasts in the castle i have questions disney what do they eat 
seaweed. A whole diet just of seaweed? I don't know. Mm. They're mermaids. They're not even real. (laughs) I mean, they created this whole ecosystem down there and they got to eat something. You know, the king with all those, he's jacked. He's getting his protein from somewhere. Yeah. But the seaweed is what happened to somebody else's lake family. Why is Flounder running around by himself? They ate his family. I don't have time to answer this question. <laughs> Suspect. Mm, I, I mean, true enough. I mean, back to Ursula. We know what she eats, but does she have her own belief systems and goals? She believes that she has the birthright to rule the seas. So her goal is to overthrow Triton. That's yeah, basically absolutely. all we know. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a pretty concrete goal, I would mm-hmm. say. I mean, Ursula believes she's not the one to blame when it comes to the deals that she made with the merfolk when they couldn't hold up their end of the bargain. Like, as she points out to Ariel, she herself kept her end of the deal, so she takes her payment when it's due. I mean, Ariel, just like the rest of us, doesn't read the terms and conditions. No. So, based on what she does with Ariel's deal, I mean, we have to wonder, did she do this with all her other deals? Or is it just Ariel's situation? You know, because it's based on the fact that she's trying to ruin her father. Right. So maybe she intervened in this scenario. But maybe she did it other times. I mean, it's just something to consider. It it absolutely is. You know, but other than this, Ursula is a pretty consistent character. She's shown to be hungry for power, ambitious, a bit manipulative, a liar, and dismissive of her own bad behaviors. But she's also a really funny character. She has a really great sense of humor and an exaggerated personality. And she's quite comfortable with who she is. She makes no apologies. And she's a really great singer. Yeah, absolutely. She's bold. She seeks power. And she uses the skills she has to get what she wants. The throne. She uses body language. <laughs> that, was, that was a good Ursula impression. <laughs> Ursula, in fact, is quite a feminine character, one that is super comfortable with who she is and what she looks like. And as a villain, she gets to flaunt her sexuality in a way that Ariel, even though she's half naked, could never. The viewer might be expected to see Ursula as ugly, but she doesn't see herself that way. That's one thing I love about Ursula. Mm -hmm. She has a flamboyant personality and she's devious. If we assume that the deal she made with Ariel is not the first, where it is next to impossible for the other party to keep up their end of the bargain, then we know that cheating is something she's willing to engage in. The audience isn't meant to see Ursula in all of these ways. She's larger than life. She's loud and boisterous. She's just too much. She's clever, and perhaps she is unable to truly love. But these are the characteristics that are usually the ones of the troublemakers. Let's dig beyond the big reputation. Or below the surface, under the sea, if you will. Do you mean let's dive below the surface? Use all those nautical terms. Oh, back to the nautical terms. (laughs) You love it. I do. (laughs) But we really should realize or recognize that Ursula is not totally in control of her own destiny. But it's not like she's not trying. Yeah, I mean, she's been banished. She's got no chance for redemption, even if she wanted it. Triton banished her from the kingdom. What's she supposed to do? Yeah, but this doesn't keep Ursula down. Even if she's down and out at the moment, she has no plans of staying there. So we don't know how long she's been exiled, but it's before Ariel can remember and she's like a teenager. So yeah, at least a decade, you want to say. That's what we can assume. But she's been down there in her little cave, honing her powers, making deals, collecting victims. She's been girl bossing. (laughs) Girl bossing. Girl bossing under the sea. Ursula doesn't have many weaknesses. We can maybe argue that her desire for revenge is a weakness, but overall, her character traits help her to get closer to her goals. Yeah, I mean, sure, she's got a bit of a temper, and maybe that's. Maybe that gets in the way of some of her judgments. Like her brother. But generally, she's able to focus that temper into getting things done. And we mostly only see her lose her temper in reaction to something or someone rather than as an overall personality trait. Unlike her brother. And who among us hasn't lost our temper now and again? Me. Never. Never. Theo. Theo. (laughs) As for her Roby. (laughs) Roby. She, my mom does not listen to the podcast. She listened to the bloopers episode, but that was it. Uh, it's like Sean adding in your slamming door. We can always hope. 
one day, one day all my hopes and dreams are going to come true. Um, anyway, as for her strengths, I mean, she's got skills. Like I already said, she's a girl boss. And even though she's banished and like super off limits, people still come to her when they need stuff done. Mm hmm. Yeah. She knows how to appeal to others, hopes and wishes. And she knows how to work a contract. She uses her ability with words, both written and spoken, to convince Ariel to sign the contract. I mean, Ariel can see the collection of souls just like all around her ankles. And Ursula still manages to convince her that it's worth the risk of signing this contract. And they're terrible conditions. She's three days. And Ariel's like, well, I got this. Sounds good. Like, look at look at these seashells. I'm going to do it. <laughs> <laughs> I think. We want to take some time to understand the expectations of gender and sexuality, even in the fictional undersea world. But before we get into that, let's talk about tentacles. Yes. Welcome to our tentacle talk. <laughs> tentacle talk. <laughs> Those wild mid-20th century psychoanalysts had some interesting thoughts on tentacles that I came across. For one, octopus imagery could be read as symbolic of phallic females. Because obviously everything is related to the male body in one way or another. One phallus is for a man, but many are for women who are just too masculine. Hmm. Like, what? <laughs> like, what? What? Anyway, either way, this has historically been considered a perversion of femininity. I mean, her size kind of points to that, too. I feel like people are a little larger bodies. Um I mean, I can say that because I am one. Um, they often are deemed as masculine because being feminine is about being dainty and small and, you know, mm. fear the opposite. That's just how that goes. Yeah. So according to these psychoanalysts, like characters like Ursula, like they must be stopped. They would be considered highly problematic to the patriarchy. They would need to be destroyed or disfigured to remove their perversions. Now, we'll come back to this at the end when we talk more about the patriarchy. But in the meantime, let's talk about Ursula's understanding of her gender and Ariel's, too. Ursula knows that her voice is more important than her body. Ariel, of course, doesn't learn this till the end, but Ursula is wise to how the system works. The fact that Ursula can express herself brings her more power than conforming to societal pressures. Just think about the fear, the mere mention of the sea witch brings you to Sebastian and Flounder. Ursula's a realist, though. She knows that the voice brings a woman power, but also declares, it's she who holds her tongue who gets the man, meaning that men want a woman who will blindly obey and keep quiet. So there's this really, really funny joke by one of my favorite comedians, Nicole Byer. It's about Ursula. I'm going to deliver the joke, not as good as she will, but we'll link it somewhere. So Byer says, Ursula is a shape-shifting sea witch who chooses to be fat, beautifully made up, an incorrect octopus, and she only turns into a thin white woman to go where the people are. In the joke, Bayer goes on to theorize that perhaps Ursula is not the famed villain that she was designed to be. She goes on to say that maybe she took Ariel's voice to show that having a voice is more important than looking like every fucking basic bitch. <laughs> I mean, I really think there's something to that. Yeah. Ursula refuses to be silenced. She knows that her voice is her power. We'll say it again. She knows that her voice is her power. And this is further proven when she uses Ariel's voice to seduce Eric. Yeah, the voice literally hypnotizes him. He's more attracted to the voice than he is to how she looks. Or even how Ariel looks. Ursula understands that she who does not hold her tongue has a better chance of coming out on top. In fact, it's only after Ariel gets her voice back that the spell is broken and Eric realizes who really saved him. It's women who refuse to be silenced that'll win the prize, whether that be the man or the power. This seems to be in contrast to what Ursula told Ariel earlier about holding her tongue, but it's really about power here instead of providing satisfaction, right? She said she who holds her tongue gets the man because that's what the man wants, hmm. but she who uses her tongue and not in a sexy way necessarily, is the one who has the power. The woman who just accepts that she should be silenced is the one who loses all her chance of power. And of course, one does not have to speak out loud to refuse to be silenced. There are many other ways of making someone's voice heard, but the key is the voice. Yeah, and if we think about silencing Ariel, Ursula was not the first to silence her. Again, remember... It was Triton who said, not another word. As long as you live under my ocean, you obey my rules. Like, I just have to bring that quote back because I really just, 
the intensity of that quote mm-hmm. is is so much. Kudos to Ariel for not obeying blindly here, even if she does fuck it up with Ursula later. <laughs> Ariel is a princess with a pretty face. That has always been her reward within society. But she's been discouraged and even prohibited from speaking up and voicing her own opinions. Ariel's rebellion is a silent rebellion, but it was not the right choice. She surrendered her voice and she didn't realize what it was worth until it was gone. She doesn't learn her lesson until it's almost too late. Now, I think one of the things we should really consider about Ursula is her attempts to crush the patriarchy. I mean, she sings about the poor, unfortunate souls, but she is not the reason they feel helpless as they are. It's the demands of Triton's world that have them thinking they're not enough. Her examples of the effeminate merman and the overweight mermaid show individuals who don't live up to the so-called ideals of their gender in their society. Triton's society. Ursula does not fall victim to those demands, and perhaps that is part of why the reason why she's banished. She's unruly, and she can't be forced to conform. She's unapologetically fat. She's overweight in a world where being overweight is unacceptable, but she doesn't give a fuck. I mean, I particularly love when she says, and now look at me, wasted away to practically nothing. Because she cares about how she feels, not about how she looks. Ursula is a woman with power and business savvy. She knows what she's doing, and she knows how to do it well. Like I said, she's the underwater girl boss. (laughs) She's also sexually assertive, shameless, and models fat acceptance. These traits border on anarchy. They clearly don't fit the patriarchal standards of Triton's world. Now, we don't know for sure why Ursula was banished, but we can recognize that many of her qualities are those that are suppressed or mocked with our own culture. So it's not a big leap to suggest that she was rejected for not conforming to cultural standards and cultural conditioning within her own society. Ursula's message here is that internalizing cultural messages is the true weakness and that rejecting cultural conditioning is your real source of power. Ursula's a fighter. She's a rebel. She's an agitator. She's ready to bring down Triton's patriarchy. And while she mostly does this for herself, okay, maybe solely does it for herself, (laughs) the benefit extends to Ariel, because Ariel could not achieve her dream either until she stood up to him and took control for herself. The lesson? Power must be taken, because it's not going to be given. Unfortunately, in 1989, Disney was not ready for all that, and in the end, the patriarchy wins. All right, so what do we take away from learning about Ursula in this new light? So for me, Ursula was always my favorite part of the film as a kid. Uh, she always read to me as like a black character, but hmm. I did. So Black History Month, but not really? <laughs> kind of. Maybe that's what I thought. I don't know. That's, I, can't, I can't even play that off. Um, but I didn't know about the whole brother-sister thing, so I guess throw that out. But like maybe not. Adopted. But, uh, oh, I like how you think. She had the uh, the big, bold makeup. Her body jiggled when she moved, and her hair was just so big. Her attitude and way, to, way of speaking just read really familiar to me. In my head, she's still black. and like, that's okay. Yeah. Her message of always being unapologetically you is what stuck with me, though. Like, it's okay to act like you're the smartest person in the room, because you actually might be. I think your way of seeing Ursula as black reads in a positive light Mm -hmm. um, where many people might say, oh, if I read Ursula as black and she's the villain, that means black people are the villains. Hmm. But you are seeing the positive aspects of her. And, and so that's why you enjoyed her character and maybe could connect more with Mm -hmm. it. Yeah. I I think that's fantastic and, and a better way of seeing it. Now I adored the little mermaid as a kid. Honestly, I don't know why, but I think it had something to do with standing up to a father figure. In the end, the father and daughter reunite and make up, but she was ready to rebel to do what she thought was right. I mean, sure, she was a dumb kid who thought marrying a human prince was a good idea, but she still had a conviction and was strong enough to go for it no matter the cost. Strangely, I can relate. I mean, not for the same reasons. You did marry a a human prince. Uh, He's Kind of like Prince Eric. Actually, I think he's the more hair. like Flynn Rider from Tangled. The hair. Yeah. <laughs> my my husband definitely has Disney Prince hair. He's got such good hair. He does. We should just pick take a picture of his hair and put it just on the, the hair Instagram. Up. Yeah. yeah. You know, I, I I can relate though. Like 
there was there was just something about that like standing up to the father figure that I really connect with. But what I never really thought about was Ursula. And I'm glad we gave her a chance because she's even more of a rebel than Ariel could have ever dreamt of being, right? I mean, I wish she had been my goal. <laughs> like she's amazing. Yeah. All right. So as per usual, we like to give you a few resources and references, some places where we got some of our inspiration for our notes. Reclaiming Conch in Defense of Ursula, a fairy octomother by Bridget McCone. Why Ursula is so important in The Little Mermaid by Catherine Cusumano. Why Ursula is the real hero of The Little Mermaid by Arian Lang. And Beasts of the Deep, Sea Creatures and Popular Culture, edited by John Hackett and Sean Harrington. So what did you think? Let us know. Do you have any suggestions for any fictional women we should cover? Who are you interested in seeing be redeemed? Follow the podcast on Twitter at BigRepPod and Instagram and TikTok at BigRepetitionsPod. Send us a message there or email us at BigRepetitionsPod at gmail.com. We'd love to include your thoughts in a future episode. You can subscribe to us on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Share us with your friends, your family, or any other poor, unfortunate souls. Subscribe and leave us a five-star review. If you're looking to add to your who's it's and what's it's galore, be sure to check out our merch on Redbubble. You can order a variety of Big Reputations items from stickers to t-shirts to mugs and more. Be sure to check out the link in the show notes. All right, Kim, take us out of here. What quote do you have for us today? It's my favorite Ursula quote, and I say it all the time. I'm a very busy woman, and I haven't got all day. Facts. And as always, believe women. <laughs>